Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. We're doing podcasts in Arizona on a Saturday in January, and I have the Sibleys with us, Travis and Brenda Sibley. Um, They are the parents of four children, and their oldest son, Jake, died by suicide um, this past summer, August 12, 2019. Jake is gay. And um, the siblings, Travis and Brenda, have agreed to come on the podcast and just share their journey. They are living their worst nightmare, um, is what another parent termed it, to have a child die by suicide. And Travis serves as a bishop in his local word here in the Mesa area, fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just a wonderful LDS family that's done the very best they could. And And I just thought that they could be on the podcast and and help those of you that are parents that have lost a child to suicide, um, help heal on some of the things that they're doing and also the good work that they did with Jake. And sometimes really good parents have children choose things that we would not want them to choose. And um, so we'll just talk a little bit about Jake. I um, pray in a way as we said a prayer that Jake, even though he's up there in heaven, that we may honor him in this podcast, Jake. And I don't know if you can listen to these podcasts, Jake, somehow, but I hope you listen to it, that we share your story the way you'd want it to be shared and share the things that you would like listeners to learn about you and how um, perhaps we as a world can do better to support people like you, Jake. And I sense your parents did a great job. So with that start, um, Maybe we'll start with um, Brenda. Just introduce your kids to us. Just how many kids you have and where you've raised them and kind of your family station right now. Sure. Well, thank you for having us, Richard. We really appreciate being here and being on this podcast. Um, Our family has, we've been in Mesa, Arizona for the past 21 years. Um, Our oldest son, Jake, was one when we moved here. Wow. I know. It's been a long time. Um, And then we have our daughter, Megan, who's 20 who lives in New York and our son Luke is 15 and our daughter Brooklyn is almost 14. She'll be 14 in about a week. So that's our family. We've been, it's been a really, um, it's been wonderful being here in Mesa. We love it. I'm from California. Travis is from Idaho primarily. And where did um, you two meet? We begrudgingly met at BYU just saying, (laughs) Neither of us wanted to go there. We actually went to uh, community colleges elsewhere, and we ended up at BYU. Um, we we also worked at the MTC together, and that's where I first saw him, and he had been stalking me for a while. Who did you serve a mission, Brenda? <laughs> I did. I served where? in Washington, D.C. at the Temple Visitor Center. That's awesome. And Travis, tell us about where you grew up and meeting Brenda and just share, and maybe what you do professionally. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, I grew up in Idaho primarily uh, and moved to Arizona after high school. Uh, my brother and I moved here to get out of Idaho, experience a little more big city. And I went on my mission to uh, Micronesia. And by, while I was on my mission, my parents moved to Arizona. And so I was able to move back here. And like Brenda said, we, I went to a community college didn't want to go to BYU, but ended up going and, and, and met Brenda there. Um, she mentioned I stalked her. Yeah, that's let's just, just kind of a, is that true? That's kind of a funny joke. That's what everybody likes to call it. I just happened to see her 
uh, on campus, wherever I went, we had a, a class together, although it was the largest class on campus, about a thousand people. Wow. Uh, and American Heritage. And I saw her the first day out of a thousand people. Uh, noticed she's from California and saw the second day. And, and I just kept telling my roommates, hey, I'm seeing this girl from California in my American from my American Heritage class. And she, so she was known as the American Heritage girl <laughs> for a while. And I kept no seeing No name, her. just yeah. you were named after the class, Brenda. Right. And then I ran into her at the MTC. We were teaching the same shift. And I found out there that she wasn't dating anyone by something another teacher. Another teacher asked her when they were going to go out again. And I saw her roll her eyes about that and i realized okay so this she's is a good rolling in the eyes <laughs> i was out the door just to be clear yeah so he didn't see it i saw it though and, and i i called her and we went out and and rest is history as they say but uh and what do you do professionally professionally uh, most of my career i've been in sales management and business development in the staffing industry and we had a staffing business up until 2018 and we sold it and then I consulted for a while and now I've changed directions and I'm, I'm a director of operations for an insurance wow. company. Just wanted to do something different. Way to go. Yeah. It's uh, a challenge, but it's good. And tell us about Jake. Um, just introduce Jake to our listeners. Mom, let's have you do that sure. first. Um, Jake just came with a really amazing package. Um, just from the time he was really little. He was so bright. He read voraciously. He read every single book he could possibly get his hands on. He spoke at a very early age, words that you would not anticipate a young child to speak. Um, he was just clever and kind and always the one to put your, his arm around you, even to his friends, even when he was in junior high, which didn't win him a lot of friends in junior <laughs> high. Um, junior high was really, really rough for him. It was very, very difficult. And it's when um, he, he first got his first guitar when he was 12 years old and he was in heaven. It was like the most amazing day, I think. Um, it was an electric guitar and he loved it. It was What color was it? Uh, we still have it. It's like a, a wood with black and white on it. And mm -hmm. we still have it. And it's sitting on display in awesome. one of our rooms. Yeah. Um, and he just really found a lot of peace in music. Um, he would really struggle in junior high, particularly. And he would come home just in a terrible mood. And he would go in his room and just play his guitar for a little while. And he'd come back out and he would be just a different kid and have a lot more peace. So music was always his language of love. And um, he's written us songs. He wrote me a song for Mother's Day. <laughs> and uh, he was he was working. He always bought a lot of like um, music equipment. Anytime he had money, he would be using that to buy some cool synthesizer or some pedal or some he had a harmonizer anyway a lot of different things and so he would always practice in his room and make all these funky pieces of music and so he always loved music it was always his thing and um it was what and really, could he sing he 
<laughs> he did take voice lessons because he really felt not very confident in singing, but he got a lot better and he was actually really good. Um, and so you've probably, you've seen some I've of seen. his music. We may link to the YouTube video clip it I saw sounds in great. the podcast yeah. description so everybody can see Jake. Sure. Yeah. He just, you can just see the passion that he has for music. It just makes him alive and who he is. And so we, we tried to just foster that and encourage that. We, he, when he was younger, he tried every sport that there is, didn't like any of them. It just wasn't his thing. He kept trying and he would just be like, Oh, you want the ball? Okay. You can have it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, but music was really great. He actually started a band when he was 14 um, there were a couple of iterations of that band. Um, one thing that they did, which was pretty awesome is he decided he was going to go on tour because they had just released their first album when he was 15 and they had pulled all their money together and they went and recorded this album and there were four songs on it. There were original songs. And, um, he's like, well, if you have new music, like you got to go on tour. So we're like, okay. So he called a bunch of venues in California, decided that he was going to go play somewhere. And the only one that called them back was the Whiskey A Go Go. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. On the Sunset Strip. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, he got it all together. He like signed the contract, send it back to them. And he came to me and he was like, Mom, they sent the contract back. And I was like, why? What's up? And he said, you have to be 18 to sign this contract. <laughs> Will you sign it for us? And I was like, oh. Um, and it was like a pay to play kind of thing. And I said, after, after some negotiation, yes, we will sign the contract for you. So I signed it, sent it, and Jake made it happen. Wow. He gathered his band together, got borrowed trailers from people to get all of their equipment there. We drove to California and he played at the Whiskey A Go Go. What a man of vision. Yeah. He That's was not going to let. That's a great insight into Jake. He was not going to let anything stop him, and he did it. Tell us about Jake, Dad. Oh, well, that was a lot there, right there. Um, you know, being in, being in sports my whole life, I and and Jake just seemed to gravitate to sports as a little kid. I thought, well, okay, let's do that. Uh, whatever you want to do. And for Jake, he was so smart. He understood the strategy of every game. Uh, but he just wasn't the most physically blessed <laughs> to play uh-huh. sports. He wasn't fast. He wasn't big. And so he wasn't always the best players, but he's always the smartest, I felt. Interesting. And, but the other thing about sports he liked, he, he just gained new friends with every team he was on. He made friends with everybody. But it got to the point where he got older, where everybody was becoming more competitive. And he'd have teammates that would yell at him for not catching a ball or not getting a hit or whatever. And he couldn't understand that. He'd say, dad, aren't we on the same team? Well, yeah, you are. And he's, why are they yelling at me? Wow. He just couldn't understand that. So that was, that led to his frustration. And, and I, I remember the conversation. I'll never forget this. We were coming back somewhere and we were pulling into the garage or in the driveway and, and he was 12 and he said, dad, I'm trying to figure out what sport I should play. And I said, well, I said, Jake, we first have to figure out, do you want to play sports? Uh, because if you don't want to play sports, 
let's not do sports. But if you want to play sports, maybe we do a, an individual sport. And he said, what do you mean not play sports? I said, well, let's find something else. You don't have to play sports. I don't know if he'd thought about it at that point. And it was just a week later after that conversation that a, a neighbor of ours was offering guitar lessons. So I grabbed a little slip and I came home and said, hey, Jake, Ryan is teaching guitar. Do you want to learn how to play guitar? And he said, yeah. And that was it. That was it. That was it. And what a- we took lessons together. He and I. You took and, lessons together with Jake. Yeah, because I always wanted to play the guitar too. And so I got a guitar. Well, I had a guitar. Hadn't played it in, well, ever. <laughs> and it, he got his guitar and we, we took lessons together and he just took off. Unfortunately, uh, I understand as you learn a, a, a musical instrument, you're supposed to practice in between lessons. <laughs> it's one thing I forgot to do. <laughs> and so our instructor, after about three or four months, he said, you know, you may want to not pay for this anymore because you're not getting much out of it. And so I bowed out and let Jake keep going and Jake just took off and then he got his electric guitar and yeah, it was, well, he had a band by 14. He started at 12 and at 14 he had his band and he just took off. And it was, even though those years were really, really hard, music saved him many times, many, many times it saved him. And it really got us to, got him to where he was able to kind of come out of his dark time and his funk and and enjoy life and he became really creative in many different aspects he got into drama senior of high school and that introduced him to a whole group of great friends who are still friends today and it allowed him just to express himself and to really enjoy experiencing life through music through drama through acting singing it just allowed jake to really have a voice in many instances and, and those are some of the greatest videos that we have of him is performing whether it be in a play or in our garage at halloween and his big concert garage concert on halloween it's probably one of the best ones <clears throat> it was great we have neighbors that was eight seven six years ago and neighbors still talk about it that's and great it, it was uh you know we had over 100 people in front of our house listening to these two high school bands playing on Halloween. It was, it was a wonderful memory. It was awesome. I love that parenting moment, you being a sports dad. And I think us sports dads want our sons and daughters to some time. And I love where you just recognized at age 12, I think you said mm-hmm. that this isn't going to be his path. Mm-hmm. And I love, you know, my wife and I sometimes have had to pivot like that. And and we've just kind of hoped our kids will find something that, that they can really thrive mm-hmm. at doing. Yeah. Um, and so I love that. I and mean, I just love the way he thrived. And I love the way you went to lessons with him, Travis. And even though you may not had the time to. Um, I went to every concert, every show. I was, I was number one roadie. I loved it. You I, loved it. I love music. And so I loved watching him play. And it was awesome. When did Jake come out as gay to you? It was just a year before he passed away. Okay. Um, and we knew he had struggled with a lot of things, like I mentioned, um, during junior high school and high school. Um, and so when he came out to us, it was, I don't know that we were like shocked. And maybe he came out as bisexual. I'm not sure yeah, which. He yeah. did. He he was bisexual. Yes. Yeah. So I've mislabeled him. That's Sorry, okay. Jake, if That's you're okay. listening. <laughs> I think he's okay. He's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, he just loves everyone really. That's what well, it is. There you go. <laughs> well, for, for when Jake came out, um, it's good. It, I think it's important to realize that by that time, 
in our relationship with Jake, whatever he wanted to do, whatever he did, we were 100% on board with. What we struggled with when he was younger, about 14, 15, is when he felt like he wanted to leave the church. And that's where we struggled at the beginning. Right. And, and, I, and I admitted this, that I didn't respond positively to that at all. And I struggled with that. Um, and we struggled for about a year or so with that and what to do. And as a, as a couple, uh, really Brenda came up with this, but we decided we needed help and this is a new area for us. And so we decided we needed to, uh, pray and fast about Jake and what we need to do for him. And we went to the temple and we received two answers, very clear answers. And I have to tell you, they weren't the answers we were looking for. The first answer was that Jake had to choose. We had to allow Jake to choose. And he's 15, about 15. pretty young guy, yeah, 15. Mm-hmm. teacher age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to hear that answer. But the second answer was, no matter what he chooses, we just need to love him. And that changed us. And so from that point on, we know our number one role is just to love him and accept him. And so whatever he did from that point on, we loved him. And so when he came out to us as bisexual, that wasn't a big deal at all. We just loved him. And we told him at that time, no matter who you love, if you love them, you bring them home, you'll love them and they'll be accepted. But the most important thing for Jake at that time, he felt was the relationship with God. And we encouraged him to do that, but to be who he is and have a relationship with God. And so when he came out, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an issue. We weren't concerned with it because we'd been down that road and accepted him and loved him already. And I- Heavenly Father has a way of preparing you for things. Um, I know for us, it just, he prepared us step by step for years to be at a place where we could be loving and accepting to Jake. And I'm just grateful for the spirit that teaches us how to respond if we'll listen. And for us, it took years to listen, but I think finally we figured it out a little bit. You did a good job. I love where you went to the temple and I love where you fasted and I love the answer you got, and we get answers sometimes that aren't the answers we want to hear. We certainly have a lot of gospel principles that teach us that, but as parents, when you're hoping for the salvation and these outcomes you want for your own kids to stay in the church and enjoy all the blessings you have, it's pretty natural that you would want your children to follow that path. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love, um, did Jake step away from the church? Um, at 15, 16, 17, did he kind of stay in and out of the church or did he pretty much just separate himself from the church? Well, he wanted to not attend. And at first we were like, you know what? This is just what we do as a family. This is our family culture. This is what we do. And so we said, you just need to come. And so we did that for a while and it was just not working. It did not work. He did not want to be there. It wasn't, nothing positive came from it. So we talked about it 
And we just like, you know what? He needs to choose. That's when we really receive that answer. He really needs to be the one to make that decision. And so we let him choose that. And he chose to not attend. And so after about a year of not attending our kids, we just were sitting at dinner one night and our kids, I don't even remember, remember if we asked them or what the situation was, but we ended up just started talking about it. And and each one of the kids expressed to him how much, how much they missed him, how much they wanted him to be with us. And so he just came and it was, you know what? He didn't have to like it. It was okay, but he just came and came with us and he had a good attitude about it. And, and then when he moved out, he didn't come anymore, obviously. He um, went away to college. Yeah. After he graduated high school, he went to the community college here and he moved out just 20 minutes away. And, um, that worked out. He was, he was doing well. He was going to school and working and it was, it was fine. And he was making that choice to not attend and it was, it was fine with us. It was no problem. So he had not been, I mean, he had been to church with us a couple of times in the last, I don't know, six or seven years, but not very much. The Christmas before he passed away, he was home uh, from school and uh, Brenda was the choir leader, uh, choir director in the ward. And so we asked Jake to put together a song. So he arranged a song. Well, he actually volunteered that's it. That's true. That's right. He asked his yeah, uh, so music I, major. I told him that I was putting the, together the the Christmas program. And he's like, I actually have a song that I'd really like to play. And I was like, great. Sounds great. Let me know, you know? And so he sent me his arrangement of We Three Kings. His arrangement, his arrangement of We Three Kings. Of We Three Kings. And he played guitar and we had a few people sing. I was one of them and a couple other people sang it. And it was amazing. So he was at church that day with his guitar. Yep. Did he hold a belief in God during this time or did that come and go or do you even know? I think there was a long time that he did not. I think he felt, um, I think there was a lot of negative connection for him. Um, when he came out to us, um, he also told us that he had been molested by someone when he was in junior high and I always knew something happened and I've always tried to get him to open up about that, but he never would. And then finally that day, a year ago, he did share that with us. And it was with another young man who was in our ward. Wow. And so that was really, really difficult. And I think he had a lot of negative associations because of that experience that made it really difficult for him to have a relationship with God at that point. And so I think it had been sort of like a, a tenuous relationship. And then at some points it would be closer than others, but for the most part, he was fairly distant from God. Did that help you connect more of the dots as you, op- and I think it's a real credit to you, Brenda, and both of you that he opened up and shared something like that. Um, that he'd been yeah. keeping to himself. And mother's intuition is often really good. Um, dads can be good too, but I've learned in our family, mom's particularly good. But often that doesn't, though, 
without someone else's agency allow you to fully understand what's going on. Right. And it did help us for sure. Um, it, it made so much sense um, because he was struggling from that point. And I wish I knew, but I didn't know. Um, he'd been to therapy since he was 13 because he had been struggling with um, anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts since he was about 13. And so we had him in therapy. He'd been to lots of therapists, been on lots of different medications, and he just really struggled um, just to feel feel good in himself. And so it did, it did sort of connect some dots for us. Talk about just anything you want to share up until when he died. Is there any other parts of the story you want to share um, up until August of 2019? Um, he, he did have a good relationship with a girl for a while. 20 months. That's a long <laughs> time. First real girlfriend. Yeah. And they dated for 20 months. And unfortunately, the a couple of days right after his birthday in 2018, mm-hmm. she broke up with him. And it was very devastating to him. I believe in his mind that she was who he was going to marry. And he was willing to wait however long and do whatever. And so when when she broke up with him, it was very devastating. And I think he felt like that was his one hope, his one chance. And uh, he his feeling or his, his feeling on his ability to uh, build and uh, develop relationships was really damaged at that time. He felt like he just felt like he couldn't connect with people or I think he could, but his mind would question any aspect of any relationship. And, and I think the other person would feel that. In fact, we have friends who've told us and people have come out and said that how much he impacted them and how close they felt to him. And yet he would tell us how he felt like he wasn't close to anyone and how he felt like he just couldn't connect and didn't have any friends. And, and so it, it, that was very impactful for him. And it was, uh, well, he admitted just uh, with a month or so before he passed away that he hadn't gotten over that yet. And it had been a year. And that was really hard. There were, it was difficult for him to see the good in himself and to see what he contributed to other people's interactions with him. Um, for example, when he was away at school, he, he went to Boston and went to school at Brandeis University, which was, it was wonderful and also really difficult for him. Um, he would always tell me how he felt so isolated, but yet when I went there, I went there after Jake passed away. They had a really, really nice memorial service for That's him. So cool. It was, it was wonderful. They did such a nice job and there were so many kids that came up to me. And told me what an influence Jake had in their lives and how they felt like he was always there for them and he always listened to them and they just had such wonderful positive feelings for toward him but in Jake's mind that didn't even exist like he could not feel that love it was really really hard for him and I think that's part of mental illness that 
they just can't feel that love, even though it's there and they have so much goodness in them, but it just, there's something that just blocks them from feeling that. And I, I, for Jake particularly, I know that was a, a main struggle for him. It's not being able to feel that connection in relationships, even though it turns out it was really there. But that that has been something that I've tried to understand more about mental illness because it's a new area for me. Like I don't even though I know Jake has struggled for years, like I don't understand it still. I still have a lot to learn about it. But that was something for him that he really, really struggled with. What a wonderful insight. And I love, I wrote down the word hope that because of the mental illness was robbed of Jake and he mm-hmm. wasn't able to see, he wasn't able to feel hope for his future and he wasn't no. able to see the impact for good he was having on so many. No, in fact, just... The night, two nights before he passed away and the night before he passed away, we had conversations with him, really wonderful, serious conversations where he told us, he said, my brain is broken. It just does not work like other people's brains work. And he was really hopeless. Uh, He just could not see a future where he could be happy. Um, he said, I've been to therapists, I've done the medication, I've done all of that, and I don't see a change. I don't see how it can get better. And we tried to talk with him and encourage him and love him. He just had a really hard time feeling that. The sad irony of this is Jake has a couple of friends at Brandeis who struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts. And they have told us that it was because of Jake and what he would do for them and their relationship that helped them get through those dark times. So here's a young man who's able to um, touch someone and interact and, and connect with another human being and show love and give them hope yet he was unable to feel that for himself. And that's what we try to work on and try to help him with. And that's really why for years I tried to encourage him to have that relationship with God. Because it's hard to feel love and hope sometimes in this world, but I think, I believe God's love is always there when we want it. And so I was hoping he would feel it, and he did throughout his life, but this last, the last year of his life, he really struggled with that. And then he, he died in the home, um, and that's obviously really traumatic. I think, Dad, you found him in the home, and that's really traumatic. Talk about um, the funeral, unless you want to talk any more about that. Um, I, I just love the funeral. Just tell us about the funeral. Oh, um, it was amazing. Just um, <laughs> I, I don't know us. how you can – it was – okay, so right after he passed away – and, you know, people found out, we just got so many messages from people of love and support. And everybody was saying, well, we'll be there at the funeral. We'll be there at the funeral. And we had picked our, our regular meeting house to have the funeral in. 
And then with all these people saying, oh, we're going to come, I was like, that's not going to work. Our, our chapel's not that big. It's not that big of a building. So we ended up having it at the Institute building. Wow. And turns out it was full to capacity. It was amazing. When we, we had a, like a family greeting before the funeral started and a lot of people came in and the funeral director came to us and said, the line is out the door. You guys need to kind of like speed it up a little bit. And we're like, oh, how do you do that? Um, and then they led us into the chapel with the overflow open. And it was just amazing to see how much love and support our family received and how many people really love Jake. He, his teachers from kindergarten all the way through high school so many of his teachers came. So many of his young men leaders. He had a really good relationship with his young men leaders, even though he didn't attend church for a lot of his youth years. They were such good examples to him. In fact, when he was writing a story when he was in college, he was writing a Western and he he named two of the characters after his two young men leaders and <laughs> that's cool it was pretty awesome yeah did you two speak at the funeral we did we actually did that was a really d difficult decision um and we thought about it for a couple of days and i just kept feeling like i needed to speak and i thought how do you speak at your child's funeral that's like the worst but who else could speak of my son in a way that I could. I'm the only one that can speak as his mother. I didn't want to let that opportunity go. So I chose to speak. And then I asked Travis if he was going to speak. I was asked the night that Jake passed away by a good friend of mine if I was going to speak at the funeral. And I, at that time, I said, I can't. And I asked him, I said, would you be able to speak at your own son's funeral? And, and he paused for, for, it seemed like a minute, and he said, I don't know if I could. And I said, I don't think I can. And then he called the next day and said, are you going to speak at the funeral? I said, I don't think I am. And then when Brenda decided she wanted to and felt she needed to, that it was a third day, and my friend called again and asked, are you going to speak at the funeral? And I said, well, Brenda's decided she's going to. And so I decided I will also. And he said, Travis, I don't think you're going to regret that. And I don't. It was, it was the hardest thing to do. But I also feel very honored that I was able to honor my son and share my life with him, my experience with him, and really bring out the positive because there's a lot of positive there and a lot of great experiences. And it also gave me a chance to speak directly to his friends because he had a lot of friends there. And a lot of friends, I think, felt some regret or remorse. But I wanted to make sure that uh, everything that they did or, or there was nothing they could have done or said that would have changed what happened. But I also wanted to know that everything that they did do and did say just impacted Jake's life and enhanced his life 
It allowed him to have so much joy. The most joy that he had in his life was really with his friends and with music. And so everything that they did made his life so much better. And we will be eternally grateful for that, but not to feel bad that they could have stopped it because I don't think they could have. So it was, it was hard, but it gave us an opportunity to again, honor our son and show our love for him. And also give a message to those who needed to hear it and those who wanted or needed to feel that there is hope and that there's a way to get through whatever they're getting through. So it was hard and I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't not recommend it. It's an individual choice, but I feel like we needed to do it. And it was one of the many, many tender mercies that we've experienced. Yeah, it was, I think it was probably the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. Um, but I really felt like Jake was there. Jake was guiding us and helping us to share what's most important for us to share. Um, we had a, it was, it was a really sweet experience to just see everyone that was there, feel Jake's spirit, and be able to share some of our experiences with him at the funeral. Do you feel like Jake was at the funeral? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I, when I stood up to speak, and I looked back, and the whole room was full, and I just thought in my mind, Jake, do you see this? Do you see how many people love you? One of Jake's, well, Jake's, one of Jake's really good friends and his roommate while he's in college here in Mesa uh, is a wonderful musician. And they used to uh, sing together and they would put songs together and sing together and they recorded a few. And actually the last time that he and his friend Joe were together, they compiled this little song together and went to a park and recorded themselves and put it on YouTube and I remember telling Jake that was so cool. You had to keep singing with Joe. And so when Jake passed away, we knew we, knew we had to keep music uh, a big part of his funeral. And Joe was actually living in the Midwest going to college, but he said he's going to be able to, he, he told us he'd be able to make it. And when we knew Joe was coming, we said, okay, Joe, this may be hard, but we really want you to sing at wow. Jake's funeral. I think it would mean the world to Jake and mean the world to us. And so... He picked a couple of songs and he ended up picking a Linkin Park song. Wow. Which uh, the title. The, the Messenger. The That's messenger. not in the hymn book. It's no, not in the hymn book. No, but it was, <laughs> it was amazing. He, he, played it acu- he played it with an acoustic guitar. That's great. And he, he was able to stand, sit up before he spoke, before he sang, he shared some experiences with Jake, which were wonderful. And. And as he started singing, he said he went into it with two ways he's going to do it, either very soft and very calm and just go through the whole song that way, or he may get you know, kind of emotional about it. And and he said, as he got singing it, it it's as if he, Jake was right there saying, go for it. <laughs> and he just belted this song out. And it was such a beautiful honoring of Jake and his love and not a person there didn't just feel the love that Joe had for Jake 
and the love for Jake and for Joe. It was such a beautiful, wonderful song. And it was a great last testament for Joe to share his love for his best friend. And, and it was, it was just beautiful. What a beautiful moment. We loved moment. it. We loved it. If, if Jake would talk right now on the podcast, what do you say? You thought about what he'd say to other people and what he'd say to people that are in a dark spot. Any thoughts about what Jake would say? I think Jake would probably tell people that, that there is hope and that God is real and that God loves every single one of his children because I know Jake knows that now. That was something that was hard for him to feel when he was in his mortal body. And now that he's released from his mortal body, he's able to feel that love now more than he ever was able to feel that when he was here. And if for me, as much as it's difficult to have a son who takes his own life, if that's the price that I have to pay so that he can know God, then I'll do that. That's what we want for our children, right? We want them to be safe. We want them to be happy. We want them to know God. And now he does all of those things. So I think that's, I think Jake would share that message that, that God is real and he loves us. I think Jake would also tell people to be kind and love others. He did that and he did it well, even though at times it didn't help him. It does help when we show love and kindness to others. He, he was, I said this at a funeral, he was a, a champion of the downtrodden, of the underdog. He fought for him and he was passionate about that. And I think he found a lot of strength in supporting and helping others and in their struggles. And I think, I feel like that's how he helped his friends who were, had went through their struggles. He showed love and kindness to them and accepted them and didn't matter who they were. Uh, like Brenda said, he would go up and talk to people when he was a senior. He'd go talk to freshmen and welcome them in. And they were just blown away that this older, mature senior was talking to them. And I don't know if Jake understood how that, how great of an impact that was, but that's just who he was. He was just kind and loving his whole life. That's who he was. And that's actually when he came out and told us he was bisexual, after I thought about it for a while, I thought, well, that makes total sense because he's been able to show just wonderful love and concern and care for everybody, both sexes. And it didn't matter what their sex was or who they were, he was able to show love and kindness to them in all these different situations. And so when he said he's bisexual, I thought, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense for me. And I told him, this is a blessing. And this is something that you can use to bless other people's this lives. This is a blessing. Um, I came across Jake's tweet of August of 2018, roughly a year before he passed away. And Twitter, for all of you, knows where people just sometimes share what's going on in their life. And I won't read all of this, but I think we'll 
link it in the podcast copy. Um, let me tell you all something really quick. I came out as bisexual to my parents who were devout Mormons. My dad is bishop of the local ward. While I knew my parents were left-leaning in their views on gender and sexuality, and I take left-leaning as just being kind, I was nervous. Um, I wanted I wanted to wait and tell them in person. I told them, a, um, I'm kind of reading this incorrectly, <laughs> but when I was there, I waited until I could speak to them alone with all of my siblings out of the house, and I told them, um, and I'm kind of skipping here, they are very, very accepting me, which was a huge relief. They told me that, Whoever I brought into my home would be loved like part of the family. Their gender identity makes no sense, would make no difference. And then he goes on in the rest of this tweet, maybe you can share it with our listeners, about his desire to reconnect with God um, and kind of reopening that door, which um, I thought was a great credit to you, to both of you, and just honoring Jake where he was in his journey and kind of let him chart the road and you're going to be right there with him. And this was to me, it gave, I, I cried when I read it because I just sensed Jake's great heart and I sensed his desire to do the right thing and I sensed his love for you and your just great job as parents to make space for Jake. Did you share this tweet on the, in either of your talks or talk about it? Yeah, I read it uh, during the funeral. And which part's the most tender to you of that or you'd like our listeners to know? Uh, the, the part I like about the, I, I like the most was when he says that he hadn't been thinking about God a lot lately. And he, he put that to the fact that most Christians don't like gays. That's what his point was. But since in the last couple of weeks, he says in there that since he'd been thinking more about God, his life had gotten better. And like that simple act of just thinking about God brings some peace or happiness or betterment, whatever that was for Jake. Just that simple act of thinking about him brought him some peace and he felt his life was better. And I really liked that. I, I, it made me sad that he hadn't thought about God for so long, but yet he was willing to include him in his life and he recognized how that improved. Um, I like the part, <clears throat> it's very similar. He said, um, he said, but I guess coming out to my parents and having them take it so well, kind of opened something up on me. Being honest with my family for the first time in years about my sexuality kind of let me be honest with myself too, in a weird way. Like I could be sincere and unguarded about religion again. And I could think about faith in a way that wasn't immediately associated with shame and with the inherent otherness that I felt. And I, since I realized I was sexually attracted to men, it felt safe to think about God again. And while I won't pretend I'm a practicing Christian right now, I do certainly have a relationship with God and Jesus, even if the God and Jesus I have a relationship with exist only in my perception. So it was interesting for me to just see how he could feel open to that relationship again. And I loved that he felt that. Um, I was going through his phone. Yes, I did. And um, I That's looked brave at, for any parent of any team, <laughs> any kid. <laughs> I, I, I knew what I was getting myself into, but um, I looked at some of his Facebook messages and someone had shared a copy of the the talk by Elder Holland 
Like a Broken Vessel from October 2013. And they had shared it with Jake in August of 2018. And he said he he would look into it. I don't know if he did. I don't know if he read it. But I thought the timing was interesting. And I shared that parts of that talk also when I spoke at his memorial service in Brandeis. And that talk is powerful. Um, It's so honest and gives permission to feel how we feel and still have a relationship with God and leave that door open. And I think that's what I would say to anyone who's feeling disconnected from the church or in any way feeling separated to leave the door open that you know I have to make a decision right the second God gives us a long time to figure it out and it's not just in this life we have after this life to figure it out too there's still learning and there's still growing that goes on in the spirit world and God is merciful and kind and loves every one of his children and gives us all an opportunity to feel that love. Just think that Jake took all this with him, you know, his refound connection with God, and that's part of where he is right now, and seeing that, like you said, firsthand. Um, A couple questions, and Travis becomes bishop in about 10, 8 minutes and needs to go to his ward for a Saturday afternoon baptism. And so we've just got about eight minutes left, but I wanted to ask a couple questions. What do you do? This is you partly also talking to other parents that perhaps have a child die by suicide or have outcomes that they, that aren't really what we hope for when we first have little kids and not to beat yourself up. No parent is perfect. And it's easy then to look back and say, well, I wish I'd done this different or that different. I don't think God intended us to be perfect parents, but I've always thought we're maybe the perfect parents for our kids. And I think you've been the perfect parent for Jake. But he's gone, and it's not the outcome when he's a little boy. What do you do to not beat yourself up? And and just, I mean, I'm just, will you share any thoughts with our listeners that may need to just hear from somebody that's in a really difficult spot with an outcome that you didn't plan for? Yeah, that has been probably the hardest part since Jake passed away is to not go down that dark road because when they're little you have these hopes and dreams and you see what their life could be and then when it doesn't turn out the way you expect it it's really hard but for me I've had to really be mindful and careful in how I think about Jake because I could totally beat myself up. I was not the perfect parent. But I do have to remember the good times. I have to remember what an amazing kid he is and that he really has some amazing talents and qualities that I love. I love those things about him. And so I focus on those things. I focus on the good stuff. Sometimes I just binge watch Jake YouTube videos. Cool. I really do. <laughs> Isn't it great YouTube exists? <laughs> I am so grateful. And I'm grateful that he was a performer because we have a lot of video of him. So that's a blessing. And so 
I just watch him. I watch him love music. I watch him be passionate about music and about what he loved. And I just try to think of the, those moments where he was happy and he was feeling good. And I, I have to really train my brain to not go down a dark path, but to really focus on the good and the, the happy times that we had together as a family. We had a lot of really good times together. We traveled and there's great pictures of your family on yeah, social media. We we had some really good times and I I just have to focus on that. And for, for parents that have lost a child to suicide, I would just say to keep keep focused on the good and to remember the good things about their child and, and to share that with people. I know people have, it's really hard to approach someone who has had a child die by suicide. What do you say to them, right? But my recommendation would be to ask them about their child. What are the good things? What are the wonderful things that they love about them? Because parents always want to talk about their kids and how... And that doesn't change. That doesn't change. I will tell you all about him. <laughs> so I think I think that's really important. Any thoughts on that, Travis? Well, people ask... I've been asked, um, how do you get through it? Or how are you getting through it? And my response is, we're still in it. And we'll, we'll be in it for a while. And that's okay. Uh, I'd encourage anybody who's gone through this, who's lost a child through suicide or any means to seek out professional help. I have. Uh, it's been a wonderful help. Um, it's gotten me through some very dark times. It allowed me to understand my thoughts and manage those. Uh, thoughts can be amazing. It can be very damaging. And so uh, there's people out there that have resources and tools that can help us get through um, our darkest times. And it's really easy to go down the would have, could have path. I found there's no benefit in that there's nothing good comes out of that and it just really uh, it, it has really uh, I don't want to say destroyed but really damaged my confidence in my self-worth and I think that's what Satan wants to do I think Satan wants us to go down that path and, and take the guilt and the blame and it really does no good but I think, as Brenda said, the best thing for us and for me has been remembering Jake and honoring him and talking about him. I was in the gym the other day after Brenda posted a, a video of Jake playing music with his friends in college. And one of the guys at the gym came up to me and said, hey, I just saw that post of your son playing. And he said, I don't know if I've ever seen someone with so much passion and love for playing music. Than your son and that felt really good to hear someone else get it because we get it we knew it it's so good to, that we can still share that good people ask yeah and people asking and people talking mm -hmm. and it's wonderful any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners um the only other thing that i have thought about a lot lately is um in our society right now, 
suicide is very glamorized. It's very, it's almost like this cultural phenomenon that kids talk about it all the time. There's music about it. There's so many songs about suicide. And it's, it's almost as if it's like this glamorized thing. And I will just tell you that we have got to change the narrative amongst our young men, young men and young women. It is not okay to be talking about it like it's fine, like it's okay and, and, and great. It's not. I think it's the worst way to lose a loved one. It's the most difficult. And a very predominant thought for uh, people who go through suicidal thoughts is that people will be better without me. And that's wrong. Brendan and I are not better without Jake. Our daughter Megan is not better without her brother. And our two younger children are not better without their oldest brother. We're not. We'll be fine, but we'll never be better. And I hope if there's anybody that hears that, understand it's not an answer. You know, siblings, thank you so much. I'd love to keep going, but you've got a church assignment, Bishop Sibley, and that's just really powerful messages. And I echo their messages that if you're in this dark place wondering if the world would be better off without you, it's a lie. And even if there's no light at the end of the tunnel and you're not sure if you can step another day, just stay in your body one more day. Um, you are incredibly loved. You are doing more good than you realize. You have more gifts and ability to contribute, just like Jake. Um, that Jake, because of his mental illness, was not able to see. And and also believe in our beautiful doctrine. I, I love this line that came into my mind during a priesthood blessing to a young man that no one's eternal possibilities have changed. So at our 40,000-foot level of our doctrine, moral life has changed. We're never going to it's never going to be fine. It's going to be different. And there's no, that is absolutely true. But I would just think if Heavenly Father were here, and for any of you listeners, he would say, well, no one's eternal possibilities have changed. And all your dreams and hopes of that little one-year-old or that newborn, as you blessed him one day, would still a loving Heavenly Father, and I know you know this doctrine too, would say, you know, trust me that no one's Eternal possibilities change, and your hopes you had for that little boy still are intact from an eternal perspective, but from a mortal perspective, it's different. So thank you, Travis and Brenda and Jake. You know, we love your brother. I've I've thought about you quite a bit, and I just pray our listeners can also feel of your goodness, and you will know how much you are loved, and you can continue to progress and continue to take the wonderful steps you're taking, and and know that you're loved and be able to see the totality of how many people love you here and your and your mission to bless and help other people there. And you're a healer. I love your visual of, I can't remember exactly what you said, but he's a champion of the downtrodden, I think is the actual words you used, Travis, that came to my mind. And that's you, Jake. And that's true of so many of us, um, so many of you out there that are trying to lift others. So thank you all, listeners, for joining us on Another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. <laughs>